Well, thank you, Manny. At this time, our young friends can be dismissed to junior church. That's grades one through six. And if you're visiting with us today and you have young people, one through six with you, and you wonder what goes on in junior church, you are always welcome to accompany them as they follow our children's workers towards the fellowship hall at this time. One of the greatest distances a man ever travels, any man, woman, boy, or girl ever travels, is the distance between knowing what they should do and doing what they should do. I remember before I became a believer in Jesus Christ that the Bible and Christianity all seemed very foolish to me, and I had no interest in the things of it. But after I became a believer in Jesus, after I, I believed that he died for my sins and rose from the grave, and I asked him to forgive me and be my Savior, I remember that as I started to hear God's word, it would start to describe things that I recognized were true in my life. And I said, that explains why that's going on. Now I get why some things are so hard, especially when I was looking inside and I would wonder, what is going on? Why do I feel like I'm such a mess on the inside and it sometimes leaks to the outside? Maybe you've had this thought as well, but let me start off by asking you this question. Have you ever found yourself thinking or maybe even saying out loud, I can't believe I just did that again? You ever found yourself doing that? You know Christ, you know what's right, you know what's wrong. It's not being confused as to what would please God. You just, you, you knew what was right. And maybe you were thinking, I'm not going to react in anger. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to lie to get out of this. I'm just going to take it on the chin. I'm not going to keep looking at that. I need to turn my eyes and my mind away. I'm not going to manipulate my way out of the situation. You said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then you did it anyway. You ever, found, you ever found yourself there? In fact, you didn't just not do the right thing. You found yourself almost doing the opposite. And you went to what you knew was wicked. And maybe you did beforehand have that, I'm never going to do that again, or from this day I'm changing, and now this is how I'm going to do things, but it didn't last. And you thought to yourself, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And maybe you even thought this, am I the only one? I mean, we look around this room as we come to the Lord's house on the Lord's day and we see people dressed up and ready to honor the Lord and they've gotten themselves prepared and, and they're here and we look around and we imagine, we imagine in our minds that nobody else is dealing with this. They're all clean living people with no kind of problems. And so then we think, well, then it must be me. It must be me that the problem is. And we feel torn between doing what's right and sinning. God's word addresses this exact battle that you're facing. And it tells us that you and I are not the only ones that face this war and that there is a way of victory. We're going to be in Romans chapter 7 today, in Romans chapter 7, as we begin our new sermon series on the war within, the war within. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 15, the word of God says this, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. 
For the good that I would do, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Let's pray together. Father, in this hour, would you open the scriptures to us? May your spirit work. May you bless the reading of your word with illumination and understanding, and may our hearts be open to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. The apostle Paul was a missionary church planter. He once persecuted the children of God, had an amazing encounter with Jesus Christ, and his life was changed, and he started to become a preacher of the gospel, and he would travel from city to city telling the good news of Jesus, seeing people saved, baptized, and organized together in churches, and then he would move on to another location as the Lord led, and he would do it all over again. And there were believers in Rome, and he desired to go to Rome and hadn't been there yet, and so, like he would to some of his other churches that he started, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome, telling them all about salvation and telling them about the details of doctrine and how to live the Christian life. And so we have these inspired words of God here, and I want you to know he is writing this from himself as a, the perspective of a believer. This is not an unbeliever dealing with trouble in this passage. This is somebody who has, by faith in Jesus Christ, been born again. They have new life. The Spirit of God lives inside of them, and they notice this battle. See how he begins. For that which I do, I allow not. In other words, there, there are wicked things that I don't want to do, and I end up doing them anyway. I know they're wrong, but I still end up doing them. For what I would, that do I not. There are some things that I would do that I do desire to do, and I know what's right in that situation, and I don't do them. He says, but what I hate, that do I. He's saying, I end up doing things even though I hate them. You wonder to yourself, is Paul schizophrenic? How, how, how is he not doing the things that he wants to do? Or how is he doing wicked things that he knows he doesn't want to do? You say, what's going on there? Well, if, if we're all honest, it, it, it's not that far-fetched because we know how we are. We know the things that go on inside of our own mind. This is the battle that he's facing. He ends up doing the things he hates. And I want you to know there's a major difference that happens in the life of a person when they come to trust Christ as Savior. Before I became a believer, I only felt bad about doing wrong things when I got caught or when there were consequences. If I could get away with them, I was okay with it. But after I became a believer and the Spirit of God came to live inside of me, on the inside, even though no one ever knew that I did wrong, if I knew that I did wrong, let me rephrase that, if no human knew that I did wrong, I still knew. And the Spirit of God knew. And though no one ever corrected me and told me, I still knew that it was the wrong thing and I felt bad about it. In fact, I hated that thing. But here's the problem. I didn't stop doing it. 
I would sit inside of a church service, maybe you've had the same experience, and the preacher gets up and he talks about the power to have victory over sin, and you decide, you know what, I'm done with that. I see the destruction that it causes, I know how it displeases the Lord, I know how it's hurting my family, I know how it's hurting my job, I know how it's hurting all sorts of aspects of my life, I am done with it. Perhaps you even come forward during an altar call and you say, I'm done, washing my hands clean of it. And then, and then, a couple days later, you end up doing it again. And then you, you feel bad about it, and you perhaps come to the altar, and you ask God to forgive you, and then you do it again. And you start to get discouraged, and you start to become frustrated, and it will eventually end in despair if something doesn't change. And it says in verse number 16, if I then do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. The law isn't the problem. The law is just fine. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. It's not that the rules are too strict or the rules are too unwieldy. It's that I don't like following rules. Do any of you love following rules? I mean, I, I wish I did. Um, how many of you have a rule follower as a child? Any of you have a rule follower as a child? A few people, you might, you might have one of those. I remember that I, I tutored a, a class in a homeschool co-op for one year of eight boys, grades eight to 10. And they'd get wild, and I'd be like, you guys are not listening. And there'd be one man, young man in there, I'm listening. <laughs> you guys are not, con I'm concentrating. He couldn't stand the idea that he wasn't following the rules, but all of us on some level have an issue following the rules. But the problems aren't the rules here, it's something deeper than that. And in fact, by agreeing with the law and saying, I shouldn't do this, just like the law says, and when we say the law, we're talking about the things that would please the Lord, the things that would make God happy, either doing those things or not doing those things, whatever would make the Lord happy, we admit that it's right. It says in verse 17, now then, it is no more I that do it, do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. It is no more I that do it, but sin dwelleth in me. I want you to know this is not someone making an excuse. Paul is not trying to say, I didn't do it, sin inside of me did it. You ever heard somebody say, uh, I didn't do it, or the devil made me do it? Listen, you and I can get into enough trouble without blaming the devil. He doesn't always have to be involved for us to get into trouble. Chances are, it's us. And he said here, I recognize, not that it's not my fault, but it's almost like there's someone else in here. He started this verse with now then. Now, as opposed to what? Well, before. Before he was a believer, the only thing inside of him was that part of him that pulled him towards indulging himself and to go as far as he can and get away with it. But now there's something else. Now it's almost like there's a battle. Now he can see the monster that was always in the corner. It's like someone flipped the lights on and he says, now there's sin and it dwells in me. What's it mean to dwell? Well, it means to move in. It means to set up camp. It means to stay there. And he notices that there is something inside of him other than himself that is working against himself. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. He says it's, it's something tied to this body. It's something tied to this flesh, and it's, it's not good. It's not good. There's trouble there. 
You may have heard that there's a little bit of good in everybody, or everybody is essentially good at heart. You may have heard that teaching vaguely out there in society. You may have heard the idea of just follow your heart and you'll end up just fine. That does not agree with the Word of God. It doesn't agree with the Word of God because our hearts are deceitful, and we oftentimes want the wrong thing. Come on, you all and I included, we know what's right, so why do we ever do wrong? Right? I didn't know that was wrong. Of course you did. My kids, they, 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 at times, they're very good kids, but at times, they'll say, I didn't know that was off limits. Really? You didn't? I mean, it's been off limits for every other day of your life. But today, oh, I didn't know you wanted that done. That's not the problem. That is not the problem. There's something dwelling inside of us and when we don't have the mind of Christ and we don't have the spirit of Christ, before we get saved and we're just on our own, the flesh runs wild. But now something is different. Now then, something is different. The spirit of God has come to live inside. And now there's another attraction. Instead of just being attracted towards sin, now we're attracted towards the things of God and there's a war. He says, for to will is present with me. The desire. To make the choice. I've got all of that. But how to perform that which is good. How to successfully and thoroughly do what I'm supposed to do. I can't even figure out how to do that. I cannot find the answer to that problem. Verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. He's repeating this here for emphasis. Anytime you find repetition in the word of God, it's not an accident. Jesus it wasn't getting paid by the word when he was giving sermons, right? The Spirit of God doesn't make extra commission depending on how long the word of God is. No, it's for emphasis. And where God places an emphasis, you and I must place an emphasis if we are to agree with him. And he's saying it again so that you, if you feel like you're going crazy because you're trying to do the right thing and please the Lord, but it feels like you're banging your head against the wall because you always end up doing, or at least often end up doing the opposite of it, you are not alone. If the Apostle Paul struggled with this, who perhaps among natural men is the best Christian who has ever lived, if he struggles with it, I'm going to struggle with it. And if you're honest, you're going to struggle with it as well. So this is not unique. Verse number 20, Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He recognizes that there is a separation. There is a me versus sin. There is a me versus sin. This is not me just saying, I want to do sin and I'm doing it. He's saying, I don't want to do sin and I end up doing it. Or I want to do right and I end up not doing right. In verse 21, he notices, he says, I find then a law. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. I won't ask you to recite for me the, the law of gravity and how particles, uh, if you remember from school, are attracted to each other, and there's some specific wording that goes along with that, but we say that that's the law of gravity. Well, who ratified the law of gravity, right? What Congress passed the law of gravity? We're not talking about that kind of law. We're talking about a consistently true principle, something that we have observed and that we can count on. And he said, knowing what's going on inside of me, I recognize this. There is a law, a consistent principle, that even when I would do the right thing, evil's waiting right there. 
The desire to do evil is waiting right there, that pull. So when I have set it in my heart to do right, you say, I'm going to start building people up with my words instead of tearing them down. I'm going to start being truthful instead of lying and manipulating. I am going to cleanse my heart and mind from that stuff that I shouldn't be looking at online, and I'm going to, to do right. When we make those decisions, I, I am not drinking anymore, I am not using anymore, I am not going to uh, take advantage of people anymore, whatever it is, it's hovering right there and it says, oh yeah? Oh yeah? Well, taking advantage of people is really convenient. And looking at that stuff is very satisfying. And partying with your friends is, well, it's a, frankly, it's a good time. And so even though when he purposes in his heart to want to do right, he notices that there is a law dragging him away, a consistent principle. He says in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. This is how we know that we're talking about someone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. Before we become a believer in Jesus Christ, we do not delight in the law of God after the inward man, right? We don't seek after the Lord. We, we put distance between ourselves and the Lord. We're not happy about the rules put on us. We try and kick off all the rules that are around us. We don't like the fences that are put up. We want to hop right over them. But when we come to know the Lord, something different happens. And now we want to please the Lord. Can I tell you what's, what's amazing to me about what God has done in my life? I'm not everything that I ought to be, but I'm definitely better than I used to be. I used to be an atheist, gay rights activist that hated the Lord, didn't want anything to do with Christians, thought they were brainwashed, and yet God has done an amazing work in saving me, calling me into the ministry. You know what's still that I want to do this? It's not that I just get up here and do this, because there's a lot of things we do that we don't want to do, right? But the fact that I want to do it shows how much God has changed my heart. Maybe you can think back to a time when the idea of going to church was like, church, do I have to? Is there some way out of it? Did something really bad happen? Right? Is it a special day? Do I, ha do I have to show up? Is someone getting baptized that I know? As opposed to now it's the Lord's day and you look forward to gathering with God's people to hear God's word, to sing his music, to be encouraged and to become more like him. That change that comes over, he says, now I delight in the law of God after the inward man. This is the theme of our 2023 year is the, the heart of the matter. It's what's going on on the inner life and the, the inward man now wants to do the things that pleases God. That is one of the great signs that you truly have been born again, that you have truly called on Christ as savior is that when you're alone and no one sees, you still feel bad for doing wrong and that you actually care whether or not you please or disappoint the Lord. That is a huge, huge birthmark of a believer. So he says, inside, I really want to do the right thing. But, verse 23, I see another law in my members, that's in my body, warring against the law of my mind. So, so there is a natural attraction towards God in the inward man. There is something that is pulling me towards pleasing God, but in my members... There's another law. There's another law of attraction, and it's pulling me towards the things that are wrong and bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Prisoners don't get to do whatever they want to do. 
Prisoners don't get to do whatever they want to do. They are only allowed to do and forced to do what their captors tell them. So whoever takes a person captive is the jailer. Whoever is taken captive is the prisoner. And our flesh will take that inward part of us that wants to do right. It will take us prisoner if it can. And it will lead us to do wrong. Even though it's destructive, even though we know it displeases the Lord, even though we know what the end is going to be, it still takes us captive, left to itself. Paul, with the rest of us, I think, in verse 24, lifts up his voice and says, O wretched man that I am. O dejected, O unhappy, O miserable, O frustrated man that I am. Do I have to continue to live like this? Do I have to continue to live defeated? Do I have to be taken captive every time? It's like a wild beast is inside of me, and if I let it out of its cage for a moment, it's going to run wild, and then I have to pick up the pieces. You ever come home, for those of you that have a dog, and the dog got into something and has trashed the house? Maybe knocked over a trash can, and there's literally trash everywhere. Or maybe just something nice of yours. They decided that they were going to rip open and spread stuffing or confetti or little pieces of paper everywhere. You ever had that, that feeling? That's what it's like when our flesh runs wild. And now, because you've experienced it. It's like an out-of-body experience. You're in a conversation. It starts to get heated. And then it's like you're watching yourself say the thing you ought not say. You know exactly what's going to hurt them and hurt them deeply. And you just watch yourself go right over the edge of the cliff and you say it anyway. Right? You know, it's like, it's like you're watching yourself. You're like, no, don't do it. You ever watched a movie and someone creeping around a haunted looking house and they go into the dark room? Let's see what's in here. Let's split up. And you're like, don't do it. That's what it feels like. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who will save me from this part of me, this flesh, this body, that's always pulling me towards doing wrong? How smart, how smart, how wise is Paul here? He doesn't say, oh, wretched man that I am, who will start a new program for me to follow? He doesn't say, oh, wretched man that I am, who will help me become more organized? Who will help me pull myself up by my bootstraps? Who will help me to do more and try harder? No, he says, who will deliver me? You know what a deliverer is? There's another word for deliverer, savior. He says, who will save me from this body of death? Just like most questions in church, who do you think the answer is? Jesus. If you get asked a question in church and you don't know the answer nine times out of ten, if you say Jesus, you're going to be right. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's who's going to save us from this body of death. You see, friend, if you don't know Christ as Savior, you are still in your sins. The guilt of those sins is still upon you. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I was a sinner before I met Christ. When I came to know him as my Savior, when I prayed and asked him to forgive my sins, I became a saved sinner. So you've got sinners and saved sinners. 
And if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, you need a Savior. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You don't need to join this church. You don't need to get baptized or christened or catechized. You need to, by faith, believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. And if you call on him, believing that, that he died for you and as you and rose from the grave, you will be saved and have your sins forgiven and you can have new life. There is no way to be born again. There is no way to heaven without the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Can you get to heaven without Jesus? The answer is no. Here is where we get mixed up. Can you live the Christian life without Jesus? The answer is no. We need Jesus just as much for sanctification or becoming more like him walking in a way that pleases God. We need Jesus just as much for sanctification as we do for salvation. But we forget that. I don't know why it is. We're like, yes, I am saved by grace. Praise God. But now I'm going to live the Christian life by works. I'm going to do it all myself. I'm going to pile it on my shoulders until I'm miserable and frustrated and I leave. I've invited people to church before and told them about the Lord. And you know what they've said back to me? Certain people have said, I've already tried that. I've already tried that and it didn't work. And I thought to myself, I was kinder in my words, I thought to myself, I bet you have tried this. But it's really not about you trying. It's about us yielding and Jesus Christ doing it. And so he says, who's going to save me from this body of death? And it's Jesus Christ. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. The part of Paul who said that he was Paul, the inward man, the, the heart of the matter, the part of him that's going to last forever, his soul and his spirit, he says, I serve God by that inward part, but this part that's tied to this body, but with the flesh, the law of sin. This is the basis of the war within. You have inside of you your flesh that still is pulling you towards doing wrong. It's good to know that we won't always have this flesh. One day we'll be delivered from it, and one day we'll have a body that's perfect like the Lord Jesus did when he rose from the grave. We'll have that glorified body. But until that happens, we're going to have to fight the war within. We're going to talk about how to do that specifically over the next few Sunday mornings as we are in this sermon series. But today, let's draw a few conclusions, shall we? Let's draw a few conclusions. How do we apply this basis? First of all, we need to realize that this war is common to all believers. This war is common to all believers. We're tempted to think that there's something uniquely wrong with us. We think good Christians don't struggle with that. I would never intentionally break anybody's pastoral confidence. And I meet with a number of people in this church and some outside of this church to help them with their battles. And so if you come and speak with me about the things that are going on in your life or in your home or at work, I don't tell other people about them and I don't use them in sermon illustrations. If I do want to say something specific, I may ask you about it ahead of time once it's way in the past. But can I at least tell you this much? Everybody's struggling. Everybody's struggling with something. Some of it you would never believe that they're struggling with. And some of it you would believe. But we, we look around and we get this stuck in our eye because no one, no one wants to be like, listen, welcome to church this morning. My name's Pastor Bill. 
I yelled at my kids in anger this week. I was irritable and I was neglectful to my wife. I allowed my flesh to run wild and instead of being a responsible adult, I hid in the basement in my office. That's all hypothetical, right? Shannon's not in here, is she? Okay, good, just checking. You know what happens when a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or just any old Christian and they get up and they act like they've never had a bad day in their life? Like they don't struggle at all, ever. You start to think, something wrong with me. And you're not wrong, but there's something wrong with all of us. And it's the war within. It might seem like someone doesn't have that problem, but they're just concealing it, or they have found a way to win the war. It's not that the war's not happening for them. It's that they've found a way to win it through the power of God. Again, if Paul struggled, we're going to struggle too. We all fight the battle. Your inward man is in a battle with your flesh. You'll want to please God. You'll want to do right and to hate evil, but your flesh will fight you every day. And we, we come to these decision points, to these moments of crisis, maybe a, a crossroads that we're facing, maybe a conflict, and we, we feel like we're teetering. We're right there. Either we could go the spiritual route with it, or we could just allow the flesh to run wild with it. When you feel pulled in those directions, I want you to know you are experiencing something that's common to all people. Second of all, we need to recognize, we need to realize that it's a lifelong battle. It's a lifelong battle. Um, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but we, we have several great uh, men of wisdom and of age in our church. Some may call them uh, patriarchal figures, right? And so I'm just going to pick on somebody. Uh, Marvin. <laughs> Marvin, could I humbly ask you how old you are, sir, knowing that your wife is significantly younger than you? 78. 78 years old. That's, that's, I mean, that's not old, but it's getting up there. So, so let me ask you this. Has the battle stopped? <laughs> Marvin is one of the godliest men that, that I know of my acquaintance. Uh, he loves the Lord. He loves his family. He loves this church. I know he loves me. He's an encourager to me. He teaches the word of God well. Any of you that have ever been in Marvin's Sunday school class, you know. And he, he didn't just suddenly graduate out of this battle. When you get old, you think, at some point, I'm going to be done with this. No, you may get victory over it. And I hope that you do, because that's what Christ died for. He died so that you could live a life where you are triumphing over sin in his power. But we have to recognize that it doesn't take holidays. Our flesh doesn't give you a day off. It would be ludicrous for a man who is in the trenches, who's fighting a war who is running in between artillery fire that's exploding around him, and every day he's got his flak vest on, and he's got his helmet on, and, and he's got his, his weapon armed and primed, and, and he's calling in orders, and he re realizes where he needs to be, and he's executing all the things that would need to be done to succeed in the battle. And then one day he gets up at the forward firing line where the conflict is happening, and he's in his Bermuda shorts, and he's got his sunglasses on, and he has no weapon with him whatsoever. He didn't call or check in that morning to find out where the enemy was. He just decided, you know what? I'm going to go for a little stroll. And he is completely unarmed and completely unprepared. 
and the enemy has not stopped attacking. You'd look at that man and think, he's crazy. Why would he do that? He just put himself in great danger. That is what happens when you and I are unprepared for the battle that we face. There is a spiritual battle that is going on in the heart of every believer. And when we leave ourselves unprepared, and we'll talk about how to prepare ourselves in coming sermons, but for time's sake, we'll, we'll just leave this as the foundation. If we walk out not realizing that we're in a war, we're going to be bowled over. We're going to be taken out of the battle very, very quickly. So we don't get to have a day off. We need to draw closer to God. We need to put on the armor, arm ourselves with the weapons of this spiritual warfare. We have to be sober. We have to be vigilant because we have an enemy without, absolutely. But we also have an enemy within. We have to recognize that it's a lifelong battle. Lastly, we need to rely on the Savior to win the war. We need to rely on the Savior to win the war. We need Christ to be saved. You see, that's why God gave his son. You see, our sin separated us from God. It created a, a great gulf. We broke God's law. We're cosmic rebels. We've committed treason against the Lord. And because of that, we can't go to be with him when this life is over. God is so holy so the very opposite of sin, so much so that he can't even be in the presence. He can't even look upon sin. He's so holy. And so you and I, if we die in our sins, separated from God, then we will forever be separated from God in eternity in a very real place called hell. But the Lord loved us so much that he didn't want us to suffer these, the penalty for these crimes, even though we did them, even though we deserve the punishment, God, in his great love and in his great care, made a way that we could be forgiven at great expense to himself. That is why the Lord Jesus Christ came. He wasn't just betrayed and by happenstance and, and condemned by the Jewish leadership, the unbelieving Jewish leadership. He wasn't just delivered over to the Romans by accident. This all wasn't happenstance. This was the plan of God. You see, when Christ died, he had no sins to pay for for himself. He is the sinless son of God. He always does those things that please the Father, he said. What an amazing testimony. And as a lamb without blemish, as the perfect, spotless sacrifice, Jesus Christ died so that you and I might go free. He suffered so that we might be healed. He died for us and he died as us. And when he died, he did not stay dead, but he rose from the grave on the third day, proving that he was who he said he was that he really was God's son, and that death had no power over him. And that not only is his life eternal, but the life that he gives to those who believe in him is eternal as well. Without Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, there is absolutely no way to be saved. Friend, we have to get to the place where we recognize as believers there's no way to live the Christian life without Jesus Christ. Just as important as it is for salvation, it is for sanctification. Because I've read the books. Haven't you read the books? The self-help books? Haven't you listened to all the podcasts? Haven't you tried all the new plans that are supposed to help you get better? Haven't you tried the accountability partner? And, and haven't you tried eliminating this and putting this filter and, and these obstacles in place to keep you from sin? And haven't you still, at some points, run right over those and into the things you ought not be doing? I have. You know what? I have to say with Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me? And the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When I got saved, I had a filthy mouth. 
filthy, I mean terrible. Not to make fun of truckers, but it would make truckers blush, right? Sailors even. We have any sailors? I'm sorry. Sorry, Dave Anthony, I know you're watching. But my language was so horrible, and I could keep it under control mostly when I was in church. But when I got out of church, it was not good. It's like it just came out of my mouth. I didn't even think about it. But God started getting my attention and saying, you really, you really can't talk like this. This is not how my children behave. Something needs to change. And I tried everything to stop cussing. I really did. I tried it. I, I asked my friends to call me out on it. Um, you know, there's the idea of the swear jar. I remember putting rubber bands around my wrist, and whenever I would cuss, I'd pull that thing back and snap it like Pavlov and one of his dogs. You do this, it hurts. You get that pattern enough times, you stop doing it. I tried it. All I would do was cuss when I let that thing go. It didn't work. I'll tell you what did work. As I began to get closer to the Lord, as I began to read his word for myself, as I began to pray, as I began to listen to music about the Lord, as I began to go to church more often, as I began to surround myself with other Christians, Christ grew in my life, and he crowded those other things out. As he got bigger, there was no room left. And you know what happened one day? I realized my language has cleaned up. You say, how did you do it? I'm not entirely sure because I'm not the one who did it. I can tell you who did. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one, and as he grows in our lives, you will find everything you need to win the war within. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment? In our church, we have what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about, and that's what we pray for when we come to church. We pray that God speaks to us, that he gives us something that we need, that he brings us closer to himself that we might hear him more clearly. And, and I don't know what God has spoken to you about today. I don't have some power to peer into your heart. But I believe that the Spirit of God has spoken to some, hopefully to encourage some, perhaps to correct some. Maybe you're here today, and you're not a terrible person, but you wouldn't describe yourself as a church person either. You don't know about all of this stuff with Jesus, and people throw around terms like getting saved or being born again or... Uh, believing on Christ, and you say, I'm not even sure what all that means. This is the first time I've heard it, or maybe I've heard it many times, but I've been too afraid to ask what it means. And I can sympathize with your friend because I've been right there where you are. I didn't understand any of this the first time I heard it. But here's what I did understand. I did understand that I was a sinner. I knew that I had lied and stolen and lusted and hated. And I knew that sin must be paid for. I knew that there was a punishment waiting for me. It only made sense. But I also knew that Jesus Christ, from what I was told, from God's word, he died for me and rose from the grave. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, but you believe that he died for you. You believe that he rose from the grave. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, just between you and me and the Lord, just between you and me and the Lord. I just want to pray for you. Is there anybody here who would say, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that my sins are forgiven. I'm not sure that I'm on my way to heaven, but I would like to be sure. 
God is working in my heart. He's got my attention. I'm not sure. I don't know all the answers. But if that's you, would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if that's you, you say, I'm not sure, but I'd like to be sure. Is there anybody like that this morning? I just want to pray for you. Anybody at all? I'm not sure I'm saved. Believer, have you felt like you were going crazy because of the battle raging inside of you? Have you had that thought, I can't believe I did it again? I can't believe I said that again. I can't believe I went there again, whatever it might be. And you felt like you're crazy because you know what's right. Maybe you've even been around God and the things of God for a long time and you still have this battle. And you say, I need the Lord's help to win this war in my heart. I'd just like to pray for you. Is there anybody like that today? And saying, I need the Lord's help to win this war. Amen. God sees your hand. Amen. Amen. Hands up all over. The Lord sees that. Anybody else? That's me. I need the Lord's help to win this battle. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. Anybody like that? Amen. Amen. Friend, have you forgotten you're in a battle? Have you allowed yourself to get further away from the things of God, from God himself? Is it now just drudgery and something that you have to do, but you don't really enjoy it? And God has got your attention saying, I am walking around the battlefield unprepared. I need to get serious again about the things of the Lord. I need to make sure that I'm in church and in my Bible and praying and being around the right people and listening and watching the right things. Is there anybody like that today that says, I need to get the armor back on? I've let it go for too long. Would you just slip your hand up and write back down? Amen. The Lord sees your hand. Anybody else? Praise God. Amen. It's been too long, and I'm, I realize that I'm being shot at by the enemy. Lord, help me. Anybody like that? In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. I'll be down here at the head of this aisle. If you need to trust Christ as Savior and you've never done that, just slip out of your seat and come and let me know. Say, Pastor, I, I need to be saved. And someone will take a Bible, take you aside privately, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, and show you from God's Word how you can leave here knowing without a doubt that you're saved, that heaven's your home. Christian, if you're here today and you're in the midst of the war within and you need God's strength to win, this altar is open as a place of prayer right here in the front. Come and bring that burden to the Lord. As the psalmist said, or the songwriter said, take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Maybe you need to be baptized. Do you want to put your life in membership in this church? Whatever it might be, if the Lord has spoken to you, would you say yes to him today? Father, we give this time of invitation to you. Work in hearts. Help us to say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.